welcome to First Incision, the podcast about preparing for the General Surgery Fellowship exam. I'm your host, Amanda Nikolic. Thanks for joining me for another episode of First Incision. Let's get right into our team timeout. Our patient today is still the breast module from the general surgical curriculum. And the patient or topic we are going to be covering today is DCIS or ductal carcinoma in situ. So DCIS, this is a pre-invasive breast cancer. It is characterized by proliferation of malignant epithelial cells within the ducts of the breast with no evidence of invasion through the basement membrane on examination. The incidence of DCIS is increasing. In the 1970s, it was approximately 6 per 100,000 women, and now it's approximately 32 per 100,000 women. But this is thought to be due to increased recognition and early pickup of this disease with screening mammography. The risk factors for the development of DCIS are the same as the risk factors for the development of breast cancer, the key ones being increased age, increased breast density, obesity, nulliparity or late age at first birth, a family history of breast cancer, and any known genetic abnormalities that increase your risk of breast cancer. So as I mentioned previously, DCIS is a proliferation of malignant cells within the ducts of the breast with no invasion through the basement membrane. So this is thought to be a pre-invasive, not a pre-malignant disease. These cells are already malignant. They have just not gained the ability to invade yet. DCIS can be classified in a couple of ways. Traditionally, it was classified according to the growth pattern or appearance um, at histology. However, there is now also a move to classify DCIS according to its nuclear grade. So I'll talk briefly about both of those. There are five main types on histology that DCIS can be classified into. These include comedo, cribriform, micropapillary, papillary, and solid. So comedo DCIS is characterized by necrosis. It's usually in the center of the involved spaces. And because this necrotic material will often calcify, comedo DCIS is frequently picked up on screening mammography. It's also associated um, or more highly associated with invasion and is a strong predictor for the development of ipsilateral breast recurrence after treatment. Typically under the microscope, the cells are uh, arranged around the duct with the necrotic material in the middle, um, and the tumor cells are large and show pleomorphism, and often there will be an increased amount of mitotic activity. The cribriform type is characterized by the formation of back-to-back glands without an intervening stroma. The tumor cells are often small to medium-sized with uniform hyperchromatic nuclei. The next type is the micropapillary type, and this is characterized by tufts of cells that are orientated perpendicular to the basement membrane, and these tufts will project into the lumen of the duct. Uh, The cells are usually small to medium-sized with diffuse nuclear hyperchromasia, 
mitotic activity is infrequent. In the papillary type, this is characterized by multiple intraluminal projections of tumor cells. And in the same way, when we were talking about papillomas in the ducts um, underneath the nipple earlier in benign breast diseases, these intraluminal projections do have a fibrovascular core, which makes them true um, papillary projections. The last type is the solid subtype, and this is not as well-defined, but is characterized by a huge number of tumor cells that will fill and distend the ducts that are involved. Um, this is without any necrosis or papillations, and the tumor cells may be small, medium, or large. The other way to classify DCIS is based on its nuclear grade. So this is looking at the nuclei of the cells and how abnormal they appear. So a low-grade DCIS would be uniform appearing nuclei that don't look too atypical and a high grade of very large abnormal nuclei where they're all different sizes and shapes and intermediate grade would be somewhere in between. There have been other systems that have been proposed that combine both the nuclear grade and the presence or absence of necrosis um, to classify into um, low intermediate or high grade DCIS. Um, there was a consensus conference um, convened in 1997 to try to reach an agreement on the classification system for DCIS. And although no one system was endorsed, they did recommend that uh, a number of features were documented regarding any diagnosis of DCIS, which includes the nuclear grade, presence of necrosis, the cell polarization, and the architectural pattern or those histological patterns that we just discussed. So how do we work up a patient for DCIS? So firstly, any patient who has a mass should be assessed with a triple assessment, including history and examination, imaging, usually a mammogram and ultrasound, and a biopsy. So history and examination should entail what you would usually do for a breast history and examination, which we have talked about on previous episodes, including the first episode on early breast cancer. Mammogram will usually demonstrate microcalcifications, and that's often how DCS is identified. 90% of women with DCIS will have calcifications on their mammography, and there are certain patterns of those microcalcifications that are more suggestive of DCIS, and this includes linear branching or segmental types of pleomorphic calcifications, so calcifications that are very small, lots of different shapes and sizes, and they may be going out into sort of branches. It's worth looking up some pictures of mammograms of DCIS. And if there is calcifications, as we've already discussed, this is associated more often with a comedotype DCIS. If there's fine granular calcifications, then these are more likely to be a lower grade micropapillary or cribriform lesion. Um, and obviously there can be microcalcifications with indeterminate morphology. Um, and most patients with DCIS will have this rather than those typical textbook features. So any microcalcifications should be further investigated. Mammogram may not demonstrate the full extents of disease um, with DCIS. And especially if there's multifocal DCIS, it may not pick up all areas of DCIS. And so every patient with suspected DCIS should have a bilateral mammogram and magnification views to assess the morphology of the calcifications as well as the full extent of these calcifications. Ultrasound is often done in combination with mammography to see if there is a mass associated. However, often with DCIS, because this is within the duct itself, there may not be a mass that's able to be seen on ultrasound. 
MRI is often discussed when we talk about breast imaging. Um, it may be useful in determining extent of DCIS, identifying multicentric disease or synchronous disease in the other breast, but probably is not any better than mammography in distinguishing whether it's DCIS versus a benign or indeterminate proliferative lesion. Um, there are some further studies going on in this area that are looking um, at different types of MRI imaging to try and identify that better, but it's not currently um, subsidized in Australia for DCIS and it's not routinely used for DCIS. A biopsy is the mainstay of diagnosis for DCIS. And a core biopsy or an excisional biopsy is required because a FNA won't give you any of the architectural information and also can't tell you whether or not those cells have passed through the basement membrane. So it can't help you distinguish whether you have invasive or in situ disease. A core biopsy can be done using ultrasound, can be done using stereotactic techniques, so using the mammogram machine to guide the biopsy to those calcifications. Um, however, this is not great for abnormalities that are just underneath the skin or maybe very deep or adjacent to the chest wall. Um, and patients can also have a wire localization and uh, excisional biopsy, but that should only really be um, kept for people who cannot have a stereotactic biopsy. How do we manage DCIS? There's approximately a 20% risk that when you're diagnosing DCIS because of sampling error that you may miss an invasive component. So in about 20% of the cases where we excise DCIS, we find that there is already an invasive component. In addition to this, like I said at the start of the episode, DCIS is a pre-invasive cancer, which means it's one step away from gaining the ability to breach that basement membrane and become a invasive malignancy. And so for this reason, the mainstay of treatment of DCIS is excision. The options include breast conserving surgery and also mastectomy. Breast conserving surgery has the same indications as we've already discussed on previous episodes. Um, you need to be able to completely remove all of the disease whilst maintaining good cosmesis. The resected pathology should be discussed at an MDT, and most of these patients will be considered for whole breast radiotherapy after excision of their DCIS with breast conserving surgery. A mastectomy is also an option when talking about surgery for DCIS. If you do a mastectomy, you also need to do a sentinel lymph node biopsy at the same time because of that risk of there being an invasive component it's, and it being difficult to do or impossible to do an adequate sentinel lymph node uh, after the fact once the breast has already been removed. This is a very effective treatment with low rates of local recurrence and mortality um, and the indications for a mastectomy over, uh, over breast conserving surgery are if there's multicentric disease that you cannot remove with a single operation, um, that would leave adequate cosmesis if you're not able to remove uh, the, the disease to clear margins or the patient may have a preference. And also if there were an underlying uh, genetic abnormality, then you would consider offering that patient a mastectomy. Before moving on to other treatments for DCIS, I also need to mention other reasons you may do a sentinel lymph node biopsy if you have a diagnosis of DCIS. So the first thing we talked about was doing it if you are going to perform a mastectomy for DCIS. However, 
Other reasons would be if there was mass forming DCIS, and this can either be a clinical mass or a radiologic mass. If there's evidence or suspicion for microinvasion on a core biopsy, so this means that it's within two millimeters of the basement membrane. And the last indication is if there is an area of more than 50 millimeters, so a large area of DCIS. In these situations, you would do a sentinel node biopsy, even if you were just doing breast conserving surgery. Patients can undergo adjuvant endocrine therapy, especially if their DCIS is ERPR positive, and there definitely is evidence that that reduces their risk of recurrent DCIS or development of a cancer later on. We've briefly discussed adjuvant radiation therapy, um, and this will definitely reduce their risk in the future. Um, But there's not really any role for chemotherapy in these patients as they don't have any invasive disease. The other thing when we're talking about surgery for DCIS is the margins need to be two millimeters or greater because of the branching and the pattern of DCIS traveling through ducts. You need to make sure you really have a clear margin um, uh, on your resection specimen. So we would say that you need at least a two millimeter margin. Some features of uh, DCIS that mean that there is a greater risk of recurrence include if the patient doesn't have endocrine therapy after treatment if there's very close margins or if the margins are positive, if you require more than three excisions to completely clear the DCIS, if the patient is very young, if it's a very large area of DCIS, if it's a higher grade, nuclear grade, as we talked about before, and other tumor subtype features, such as if it's HER2 positive or ERPR negative. If the patient had any of these features and had had breast conserving surgery, you would definitely refer them for radiotherapy. There's another tool that we can use that I have briefly talked about before, which is the molecular gene assay of the DCIS, which the Oncotype DX breast cancer assay can do. This test will give you a a classification of that patient being in a low, intermediate, or high-risk group for the development of ipsilateral breast cancer. And if they're a low risk, then they have a 19.6% chance over 10 years of developing an ipsilateral breast cancer. And if they're in the high-risk or intermediate-risk groups, they have a 25 to 26% chance of developing breast cancer over 10 years. So you may consider offering patients in those high or intermediate-risk groups radiotherapy, even if there are other features on their tumor biology that seem favorable. So this could help change management. So once you have operatively treated a patient's DCIS, given them radiotherapy if it's indicated and put them on hormonal treatment if they are hormone receptor positive, you also then need to make sure that the patient is undergoing regular surveillance um, because they are at higher risk of developing a further breast uh, lesion in either breast. And that's all I have about DCIS. It doesn't seem like such a scary topic once we've already done all of that time on early breast cancer, but is obviously very important and pretty common uh, presentation to the breast clinic. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe so that other people are more likely to find this podcast. It's time to close up. Thanks for listening to First Incision. If you have any comments or feedback, send us a message at firstincisionpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Instagram at First Incision. Happy studying! <laughs>